Welcome to Empowering Women in Educational Leadership. Over the next hour, we are going to celebrate women across all venues of education and hear stories from trailblazing educators of challenge and success, highlighting that leadership is not always about a title. Now here's your host, Dr. Stephanie Duguid. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Empowering Women in Education. I am your host, Dr. Stephanie Duguid. It is such a pleasure to be with you here today, and thank you so much for tuning in. For those listening that do not know me or are new to the show, I always share a few details about the backstory of the Empowering Women in Educational Leadership show with you. As a lifetime educator myself and with a mother who was a very strong teacher in a Texas high school for over 40 years, I felt it was a natural transition to highlight strong women in educational leadership. So many times women assume that they have to have a title to be a leader, which is not true at all. So many women inspire, guide, support, and empower each other. Those women are transformational leaders that focus on elevating one another through mentorship, whether intentional or not. I wanted to highlight the great things and people supporting women in educational leadership. I've been in education for over 30 years at the K-12 and higher education level as a teacher, athletic trainer, and administrator. I am now the owner of Do Good Leadership, where I'm a professional speaker, leadership and success coach and mentor, author, consultant, and of course, radio show host. My focus has shifted from working within an institution to a new focus outward where I can serve, elevate, and inspire women to be amazing leaders in education at all levels. This show is the opportunity to bridge the connection between where a woman in education is and where she wants to be after developing leadership skills and confidence to become that empowering transformational leader. The key is to find a strong mentor to help guide you along the way. My mother was my mentor until she died in a car accident when I was 27, and I have made it my life's purpose to develop, serve, support, and empower women in educational leadership through mentorship. Therefore, I do help women in educational leadership develop those skills to become that confident leader. Today is the fifth episode of Empowering Women in Educational Leadership, and I'm honored to have the opportunity to highlight more amazing things that women are doing in education. Each show has a guest from a different background across the country with unique perspectives to share related to empowering women in educational leadership. On our show today, we have Dr. Angela Robbins, a trailblazing entrepreneur. She takes us into the world of women in leadership. Her contagious energy and invigorating storytelling prowess will captivate your imagination as she shares her remarkable journey of transforming opportunities into triumph. She is the founder and chief executive officer of eLearning Doc, and she provides strategic planning, partnership development, and account management. She actively collaborates with stakeholders, leads the discussion for planning curricular design framework, and helps formulate learning solutions essential for client success. She holds a PhD in instructional design for online learning, a master's in education and curriculum and instruction, a master's of science in education in instructional design for online learning. So please help me welcome Dr. Angela Robbins. Thank you, Dr. Duguid. Thank you. You are so welcome, and I am thrilled to have you here on the show because you come from a little bit of a different perspective than some of my previous guests who were specifically in a college or university. So tell us a little bit about your background and your story. 
Absolutely. So yeah, as as you mentioned, I have uh, definitely a hybrid <laughs> background over the years. Um, I started out in K-12 education, um, where I was a fourth and sixth grade educator. Uh, then quickly, um, I knew all along that I wanted to um, venture into higher education and uh, with an emphasis in really mentoring pre-service teachers. Um, over the years as an educator, um, I really saw um, an interest in developing curriculum. Uh, I loved, you know, creating interactive lessons. Um, and that was really my passion, but also uh, I had a, just a desire to really spark the interest for teaching and, and the love of learning. And so I always knew I wanted to work with pre-service teachers. So I became a director of field experiences and professional portfolio at um, a university in Missouri. And then um, my husband was transferred to Cincinnati where I started working at the College of Medicine at the University of Cincinnati, where I helped revise and revamp a curriculum for the medical school, which hadn't been done in about 30 years. Um, so we went from a very uh, silo-based curriculum uh, where, you know, the systems were taught uh, one at a time uh, versus integrated approach, which we all know the body is is taught, or we treat the body as one system, but we were uh, teaching it as very silo-based organs. And so I had the opportunity to, to sh um, show that as a help design a curriculum that was very integrated. Um, and so we went to a very um, clinical-based integrated curriculum that made it more interactive and engaging for the learners, um, which, you know, having studied education for so many years and then to finally put it into practice um, from a curricular standpoint was such an awesome experience um, and one that hadn't been done in 30 years. They hadn't changed their curriculum. And the unique experience of that is the curriculum wasn't broken. The students were phenomenal, um, high performing students. And so we were changing something that really wasn't broken, you know, but it was a better way to do things. And so it was really uh, stressful because, um, like we mentioned, the students were outperforming everyone on their um, on their board exams, um, but we knew it was a better way to teach. So there was a lot of controversy around changing the curriculum, but we knew it was better for the students. And so we changed that curriculum. And in spite of what we did, the students still performed well, um, which was great, but we know they're high performing students anyway. And so it really did um, turn out to be a win-win for everyone. Um, from there, I went to the College of Pharmacy um, as I was working on my um, my master's in instructional design for online learning. I had already finished my master's in curriculum. Um, and I started working with developing online programs in um in online learning. And so I had the opportunity to create their first online cosmetic science and drug delivery programs. So I got to work more with cre uh, creating interactive online experiences for learners. Um, and then I finished out my time as a um, director of instructional design for online learning at the College of Business, where I designed their very first online MBA and MS tax program. At that point, I realized you know what, I, I feel like I've had this K-12 experience, higher ed education experience, um, but something always felt missing. And I really wanted to see that business side of education, um, the corporate experience, you know, working in manufacturing, education, government. Um, and so I left and went to uh, corporate education where I ran a global organization um, in content development. And that was such an awesome experience for me because I got to work more with um, adult learners and um, realizing how much we um, sometimes do a disservice to the learning environment at at that level. You know, we 
uh, have so much uh, that needs to be done to upskill and reskill and retool the learning environments at um, the corporate level. Um, and, you know, we sometimes don't put that emphasis where it needs to be, or we don't have the resources to, uh, or the individuals that are trained to develop that content. And there was such a need for it. And so it was really fun to be able to work in that environment teach people, you know, the pedagogy and the best practices of teaching and learning that that actually is a thing <laughs> in corporate. Right. Um, and so to become kind of a, a, a proponent for that um, and really start to delve into those um, those markets. And so I've really over the years have, have had a little bit of experience in every area. So it's been a really rewarding career. Well, one of the neat things that I love that you said was that you did have that K-12 and higher ed experience. And so you understand from the instructor side how to develop these things and how to lay out these things. Absolutely. So many times, some folks that come from the outside that are from an accessory area that's outside of the classroom, they have to learn that. And so I think that that's something that you automatically have that makes you so unique in your area where you are now of developing curriculum. And so Absolutely. that is fantastic. Yes. Have you found that that's been beneficial to you? Absolutely. You know, one thing that I find in working in all of these areas is the person designing the project or the curriculum or whatever, we all have the same desire. We want people to perform. We want them to do well. But unfortunately, most of the time we're experts in our field, right? But we're not experts in the teaching and learning process. So they're subject matter experts, but they're not pedagogical experts or teaching and learning experts. And so to be able to pair and partner with that subject matter expert and also teach them along the way why we do things a certain way or why it's important to add those theories and those teaching and learning um perspectives and teach them and see those light bulbs go off that, oh my gosh, there is a rhyme and reason behind why we do what we do um, is such a rewarding experience. And, you know, the individuals that I work with and, and those in my company, I think that's what brings us back every day to what we do is it's it's so exciting to see that light bulb go off. And really it's, it's fulfilling to be able to um, help them get those desired results that they need um, in the in the workplace. Well, and one thing you mentioned when you were first sharing your story is that when you worked at that college of medicine is that it wasn't broken. It was no. still working, but there was a better way to do it. And so many times in education, you have an instructor that has done something the same way for years mm -hmm. and it works and it does well, but there's so much more. Our students have changed. The curriculum has changed. Digitalization has changed. Technology has changed. So if something isn't broken, what were some of the things that you did to show that college that, hey, there's a better way where your students, yeah, they're going to learn, but they are just going to flourish with this new yeah. opportunity? Well, and what's funny about that experience is what we found is the, the students did well in spite of us because they weren't coming to lectures. They weren't using the resources the instructors were doing or providing. They actually had their own hidden curriculum. Year after year, they were developing these large books of syllabi that they had created themselves that were passed on generation by generation. And it was taking what the instructors were providing putting it into uh, information or um, 
resources that they actually understood or helped them learn better. Um, so when I talk about you know those resources, they were like graphic organizers, case studies, things like that, because the traditional way of how they were being presented wasn't uh, clicking with them. And so the instructors were thinking, oh, I'm doing something right because my students are performing well. But what they didn't know was that hidden curriculum that was happening outside the classroom was what was actually aiding the, inst the students in doing well. So once they saw that connection that, hey, you know, they're not coming to class, they're not, you know, doing the homeworks that we're assigning, they're actually using this outside curriculum that the students developed because they knew how they learned best, It the light bulb went off that, okay, something has to change because what we're doing is no longer effective. And you know, when we went to a more hybrid approach where we put some of the curriculum online, we front loaded the curriculum, made it more interactive and engaging so that the time that they were in class could be spent in small groups, discussion based activities, um, case studies, standardized patients, things like that. The experience became more rewarding, more beneficial, more application based and really a better overall experience for the learner. That is so interesting, that hidden curriculum, because now that I look back, that's exactly what it was for a lot of the courses that I'm thinking about in my head is that, you know, the teachers were a chalk and talk and they were doing it the same yep. way, Talking but the head. students were <laughs> passing around things from the past because the curriculum hadn't changed. Exactly. And, and a lot of it is things like, um, you know, something in the sciences where it doesn't change that much. Now, you probably couldn't do that in something like computer science, exactly. but but you could do that in something that is about, you know, the body or something that is math or, or what have you. But that is so interesting. And then you just described that they are really being actively engaged in the classroom, which is called a flipped classroom. Yes. So they do some of the studying on the outside and then they do all of the interactivity with one another mm -hmm. on the inside. That is so fascinating. And so what is, and we're just going to start this conversation because we're going to have to go to break here in a couple minutes, but what is one of the biggest challenges that you've had? Because we've been talking about e-learning or online learning. What is one of the biggest challenges that you've had? And whether it's with online learning or our next segment that we're going to talk about, which is risk-taking or empowering women. Yeah, I think for me, um, having been an instructional designer for over 20 years now, um, you know, I think that buy-in is always difficult. You know, I think from an instructor standpoint or uh, a facilitator standpoint, you know, it's always hard when internally you're being asked to do changes and somebody from the inside wants you to work with somebody internally because nobody wants to be exposed, right? For what they do or don't know. Um, and when you can work with somebody from the outside who has no pre-existing ideas about who you are or what you do or don't know, um, it can be really um, helpful. And so what I've found is when you work with an outside consulting agency or uh, an outside instructional design firm, um, you can get so much more done. And it's, it's such a better experience because you can create that relationship with that faculty member or that subject matter expert where they don't feel so vulnerable because they don't feel like you're going to run to the administration or whatever and say, oh my gosh, I can't believe so-and-so has been doing this, or they don't know this. Um, and there's that sense of vulnerability there because they don't want it to look like they're incompetent. And it's not a matter of being incompetent. It's a matter of knowing that they've never had this formal training 
and why would they? They're subject matter experts, right? And so uh, for us, it's always a matter of one, building that trust, two, making sure that they understand that we're their ally and their and their partner and their collaborative uh, support team to help them, you know, really improve what they're already doing very well, um, but also showing them another way that they can you know, take their learning to the next level. Um, and, you know, we're there to support them. We're not there to, you know, expose them. And, um, you know, we find that being able to be the outsider that comes in, we we end up with such a better rapport with them. And we're that safe space that they can come to um, versus, you know, if they're working with someone who's internally because they feel like they have to be very guarded or protected. Well, and that is such an interesting point because so many think the opposite. They think that if we stay inside, we're safe. Exactly. And so they don't want to go outside. And sometimes they feel that it's the cost or, you know, the experience, or they won't know us because they're not from our institution or from our mm-hmm. area. But you just spun it where we're building trust and we are going to allow you to be yourself and really learn this process. So I think that that is fantastic. But I also think that what helps that is that you're a woman-led company. And so the way that you come across with your leadership style might be different than some others that may come across as aggressive. And so we're going to talk about that when we come back about some risk-taking and where Angela has gone from and where she is now with her company. So we will be back in two minutes back after this. Follow Voice America at Facebook.com forward slash Voice America for juicy updates from your favorite radio shows and podcasts. Meet Dr. Stephanie Duguid, the renowned motivational speaker, leadership and success coach, author, and radio show host with an impressive 30 years of experience in education, spanning K-12 and higher education as a teacher, athletic trainer, and administrator. With her dynamic presence and inspiring messages, Dr. Stephanie captivates audiences from classrooms to conference halls. Learn how to focus on developing positive leadership skills and confidence to become the transformative and inspirational leader you always wanted to be from any position you hold. Reach out to Dr. Stephanie today. Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. When there is a war on talent, you have to go to combat. What is Career Combat? It's a show that airs at 7 a.m. Pacific Time on Fridays on the Voice America Empowerment Channel that acts as your destination for real career talk and real career advice. Hear from the best and brightest in the biz as your host, Kelly Combat, gives you the answers you need. Career Combat, Fridays at 7 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Empowerment. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com
Welcome back to Empowering Women in Educational Leadership. Have a question for Dr. Stephanie or her guests? Join us on the show at 888-346-9141. That's 888-346-9141. Now back to the show. Welcome back. I am Dr. Stephanie Duguid of Duguid Leadership, talking with Dr. Angela Robbins of eLearning Doc. And we were just talking about some of the interesting details of dealing with institutions and businesses and trying to help them improve their engagement with their students through some online curriculum. But now we're going to shift to a little bit of risk taking. So, Dr. Robbins, I know that you have a story basically that started when you were young that has led you to where you are now. So would you go ahead and share a little bit about that with us, with our audience today? Yeah. So as a, as a child, I, you know, I've always struggled with education. Um, when I was in sixth grade, you know, my mom was my biggest advocate. Um, I always had learning difficulties growing up with reading comprehension. And I remember there were times sitting in my classroom, I would read the same thing over and over again. And it was like, it just went right over my head, you know, especially in the sciences and uh, social studies and things like that, that were heavy detail oriented, um, you know, uh, readings. And for me, you know, it was like cognitive overload. Like it just was like a big content dump. And over time I learned that, um, you know, I had to organize my material to be able to um, be successful. And, you know, through my mom, who was my biggest advocate, um, you know, she early on recognized that I had difficulties. And I was in a in a town that, you know, lacked a lot of resources for special education at the time. And she even took it upon herself to like, go get me tested with our insurance because the school district wouldn't pay for it. And finally, you know, she, they found out I had all these learning disabilities. And so when she went to the school to, you know, finally prove that, you know, I, I qualified for services, I remember the teacher there, um, the special ed teacher telling my mom that, you know, I'd be lucky to graduate high school, much less go on to college. And I remember being in sixth grade going, wow, you know, like, how could she like say that about me? Like, I'm a hard worker. Like, I want good grades. And, you know, like, I just remember that feeling like of defeat. And, you know, from that day on, my mom was like, do not listen to her. Like, she doesn't know what she's talking about. The next year, my mom pulled me out of that school. We moved. We went to a school district that had a special school district. Um, you know, obviously, they just pulled me out of classes to, to you know, give me extra support. I became um, almost, you know, crazy about organization. I learned how to, you know, use graphic organizers, use note cards to take notes, almost to the point where I was obsessive <laughs> about, mm -hmm. you know, figuring out how I learned best, but I, I, that stuck with me all of the time that she didn't think I could graduate high school. Um, and you know, I learned through maturity and just organization, how to be a better learner. And by the time I got to high school, I graduated just fine. I went on to college. Uh, I knew that I needed to be in an environment that supported my learning. And so I chose a smaller college where I could go to my instructors if I needed help or, you know, that would have, um, you know, the resources I needed to be successful. And I ended up graduating college with no problem, went on, got two masters and a PhD. And I always, you know, that stuck out with me, like, how could someone just write off a kid at that age? You know, it just, it angered me so much. Um, and so for me, you know, it's always been about like, 
differentiation and making sure that learners can be successful. Um, and, you know, I think looking back, you know, I've always loved curriculum and like finding different ways. And so when I um, was a teacher, I realized quickly, like, what were the aspects of teaching that I really liked? And it was always the instructional design and the curriculum aspects. So when I realized there was a whole field <laughs> around this area, right. um, it was such a natural draw for me. And I love, you know, every day being able to take on those challenges of how can we meet the needs of every learner, um, you know, differentiate that instruction and really, you know, find a way to be creative, but also, um, you know, help individuals be successful. Well, when you talk about your story, you know, there's a few things that that came up for me. One is that your mom was your real advocate. I mean, she Absolutely. was the one that was there for you. And so I think everybody needs to have an advocate. Some might call it a mentor, but having that person that says, you know what? No, this isn't right. Let's go in this other direction. But the fact that you had a teacher that said that to you at such a young age, now to that teacher, she may have, I don't know if she meant to say it in that way, but that's how you took it. Absolutely. And that's, that's what communication can do good, bad, or indifferent. So being able to communicate effectively, making sure that you realize what you're saying and the impact it has on others, that is huge in education. So you just brought that to the forefront as well. So as we talk about risk-taking, tell me how that whole story and your love of developing curriculum, how did you get to e-learning doc? Absolutely. So really, this came about, um, you know, I've always been had an entrepreneurial spirit. My husband owns his own business. Um, and early on, you know, watching him go through it, you know, I always wanted to get my hands in it. <laughs> he probably hated me for that. Uh, but I would I would love going to his office, helping him get it set up and, um, you know, looking at you know, the whole picture and, and what he was doing. Um, but also for me, it was more than just that. Um, you know, going into corporate education, um, you know, you, you have a lot of constraints around what you do. You know, they, there's profit margins that have to be met, things like that. And when you're trying to stay within those profit margins, a lot of things get lost in translation. And for me, what got lost in translation was those best practices, right? And so um, in corporate education, you know, a lot of individuals uh, look to outsource work and a lot of times that lands overseas. Um, and so the quality was not always there. And what I was selling to consumers was me and my team um, of, you know, experts. And we would, you know, talk about, you know, the alpha beta gold process, the Addy models, things like that. And so I would put my word in my um you know, expertise behind what I was selling, but we weren't always delivering on that because we were trying to cut costs, um, try to, you know, be more economically sound in our practices. And when we were delivering, it wasn't always what was being delivered. Quality was being sacrificed to save a buck, things like that. And that always bothered me because it was my name behind the design. And every day I would come home and tell my husband, like, oh, my gosh, this is driving me crazy. I'm not able to, you know, uh, stand behind the designs. I'm not able to, like, control the quality, things like that. And finally, my husband's like, then start your own business. And I was like, well, I don't know how to run a business. Like, I've never done this. Before. And he's <laughs> out like, of your well, comfort zone. Out of your yeah, comfort he's zone. Like, well, we, he's like, 
we'll figure it out. He's like, I know how to run a business. And, and the funny thing is nobody tells you that QuickBooks can do it all for you. Right. <laughs> and so um, that's what I did that day. I quit my job and I, um, you know, applied for my uh, tax ID number. I, within 48 hours, I wrote my whole website and I just took a risk. I started out with one client, then there were two and then three. And then next thing I know, uh, within a year, we had grown significantly uh, and and I was acquired by another company. Um, I still own a portion of the company, but uh, I had an amazing business partner that wanted to come on board to help us expand and grow. Um, But the one thing that we never do is sacrifice quality. All of my um, employees have master's and PhDs in instructional design for online learning. Um, Best practices in pedagogy are the the forefront and the the foundation of what we do. Um, And the customer comes first and the quality of our products um, are something that we will always stand behind. And, um, you know, we pride ourselves on creating mobile compliant, quality, ADA compliant uh, designs. And um, it's so nice to be in control of that. And, you know, that that has been the biggest amazing journey for me uh, to be able to do that and stand behind that. Well, you talk about integrity and that's what all of it's about is that you were in a position where you would promise something, but in the end it didn't get delivered as you had promised. So, you know, those customers I'm sure were like, well, this isn't what we talked about. Exactly. So what you were doing and what the company was doing did not match up. That's all about integrity. And so I love that you said, you know what? I can't do it this way anymore. It is a bad reflection on me. So I'm going to go do it my way. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) I love that. I love that. So tell me a little bit about um, your company itself, because I know that, you know, you're the founder, you're the CEO, you're over it. And you always wanted to bring people in that had your same perspective, that had your same desire. So how has that gone over the years? It's been phenomenal. Um, all of my designers, I, you know, they say not to hire your friends, but I've hired my best friends. Yeah. <laughs> um, my best friends. These are colleagues that I've worked with over the years, um, kind of collected throughout throughout my journey in life. Um, they're uh, professionals that I've I've worked with in my. Um, or collaborated with in my master's programs, my PhD programs, former clients, former colleagues um, that are just top of their field, um, cream of the crop. And I um, have to be able to trust, you know, who I'm putting in front of a client. Um, I want the very best. I want, you know, high quality um professionals that know what they're doing and that can produce the very best. And that is exactly who I have working for me. Um, I could not be where I'm at without them. (laughs) They are my equals and um, they are phenomenal in everything that they do. Um, I I, I cannot be more thankful for the team that I have. Well, when we talk about e-learning doc, and because this is a, a show that's focused on education, people may assume that you only work with colleges, universities, K-12s, but you work outside of the education industry, correct? Absolutely. We work in all verticals. We have government, uh, manufacturing, um, retail. We work in uh, higher ed, K-12. Um, you name it, we do it. <laughs> we've, we've worked with every, every type of content you can imagine. Well, and when you work with somebody, there's different options. 
correct? I mean, it, it's not just, hey, everybody gets this format and that's all they get. So how do you determine what you design for somebody? I mean, what kind of conversations do you have? Sure. You know, and that's that's the very most very important part of what we do is we get to know the client in the beginning. Um, so we do a needs analysis. We talk with the client. We understand um, who they are. We know we try to learn their story, understand their branding. Um, and then from there, we we get to work. So we decide, you know, what is their um, their project plan, their scope. Um, we tailor the each experience um, that's specific to what they they want to produce. Um, we customize every single experience. So we don't really offer any off the shelf type courses or projects. Uh, everything is custom to the client. So whether they need um, a SCORM course or whether they have an LMS and they need us to design a course in their LMS, uh, we are LMS agnostic. So we can work in any LMS course. Let's say they don't have an LMS and they need us to, to implement one, we can implement an LMS. Or let's say they do um, they need multimedia, we can do videos, animation, um, you know, all types of experiences. We've worked with creating um, PowerPoint presentations, facilitator guides, really, really anything and everything that has to do with training and development, e-learning, online learning, things like that. So you talked in the previous segment about building that relationship and trust so that somebody felt safe. And that's exactly what you described is that you really get to know your clientele before you produce something and deliver it. And there's always checkpoints along the way. So with all of this, how has e-learning changed? And you always hate to talk about the pandemic, but it really <laughs> has changed. So how has e-learning changed? And we'll continue this conversation after our break in a few minutes, but what are some of the biggest things that have changed or that you've seen with e-learning? You know, the emergency e-learning versus the, the true e-learning, <laughs> if you will. Well, I think the biggest thing is those who originally thought they would never go to it realized they had to, right? And mm -hmm. so um, it became a Band-Aid for some people. Um, others who had it were, you know, saw the, the realities of, you know, or saw the benefits of having it. Um, those who, who did it quickly are now realizing, you know, maybe there were some uh, deficiencies that they had and now are wanting to kind of go back and redo some of those aspects um, to, to make it better. Um, I think some people saw it as a great opportunity for growth and now are wanting to pursue it even further. Um, some didn't have the luxury of being able to do it at all because of the financial burden, and now are trying to get to that point where they can um, get there because they realize they're kind of falling behind. Um, and so there's all different dynamics that um, are, you know, results of the pandemic that we're seeing. Um, so we're seeing still everybody in different stages. You know, I think the biggest thing that comes from all of it is they realize that it has a place in, in our society now, like it's not going anywhere. It's only going to get bigger. <laughs> and so well, they all want a, a place in it. Well, and, and when e-learning started, it was basically, you know, put this video on or read these lecture notes and answer these automatic yeah. questions. Right. I mean, that's kind of how it started. And then when COVID hit, you had K-12 specifically having to jump online and people were not trained in it. 
And so they were just pushing out whatever they wanted to in whatever order, you know, organization is big, as you mentioned, in the learning process. And so they were just pushing anything out. And I think that some students, older students, adult students, parents of students got a really bad taste saying, hey, this doesn't work or, you know, um, I'll say seasoned administrators that weren't used to the digital world saying this doesn't work, this doesn't work. See, I told you it wouldn't work. But that was the emergency version. Yes. You know, that was the emergency version. And if you have true e-learning and how it's developed, I think that there's so much opportunity. And now people are finding that they don't have to go to a structure college. They can shop around. Exactly. And so it's becoming a lot more diverse and it's becoming a lot more competitive. Absolutely. So that's where you have some of these other things coming up. Would you agree? Absolutely. And we, we t- write curriculums all of the time. Uh, and, you know, you can definitely see the haves and the have nots, right? So you have some that have had tons of resources and financial ability to, to write really well done curriculums um, that are interactive, engaging, um, almost they read like a book, right? And they have the um, components that go with it. And then you have those who, you know, had to put the bandaid in place. <laughs> and so that's right. Yeah, so definitely. So we'll we'll keep talking about this when we return from our two minute break back in a moment. Voice America is on LinkedIn. Connect with us today. Meet Dr. Stephanie Duguid, the renowned motivational speaker, leadership and success coach, author, and radio show host with an impressive 30 years of experience in education, spanning K-12 and higher education as a teacher, athletic trainer, and administrator. With her dynamic presence and inspiring messages, Dr. Stephanie captivates audiences from classrooms to conference halls. Learn how to focus on developing positive leadership skills and confidence to become the transformative and inspirational leader you always wanted to be from any position you hold. Reach out to Dr. Stephanie today. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. Life can be confusing at times. There can be uncertainty, disappointment, and an inability to clearly see where you're headed. But it doesn't have to be this way at all if you understand how to take the next step in your life. Tune in to Living the Miracle with your hosts, Michael and Raphael Tamora. We'll help you to find the deeper meaning that awaits you in your life, have certainty in yourself, and learn to be clairvoyant. Listen Wednesdays at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Empowerment. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com Welcome back to Empowering Women in Educational Leadership. Have a question for Dr. Stephanie or her guests? Join us on the show at 888-346-9141. That's 888-346-9141. 
Now back to the show. Welcome back, everyone. We are talking with Dr. Angela Robbins from eLearning Doc. And we were, before we left for the break, we were talking about how things have shifted pre and post COVID with e-learning and online learning, the experiences, what people think about it, how it's shifted. So we're going to continue that conversation and talk about maybe some current trends or developments that you've seen over the years with e-learning. It's not just put your lecture on and answer these questions. What are some things that, that people are really wanting with the online space? Absolutely. So we're definitely seeing a lot of micro learning and credentialing as well as certifications. Um, I think, you know, with the need to upskill and reskill employees, you know, to offset the cost of, of you know, ret- uh, losing employees, um, we want to retain that that workforce. And so, you know, the need to really um, upskill and reskill them. And so we're getting a lot of requests to create micro learning, so short courses, uh, but also providing credentialing opportunities or certifications in certain industries. Um, That has been a big draw for us. Um, And so we do a lot of that for for corporations um, to help them create employee tracks within their organizations so that that People have opportunities to advance. Um, And so we do a lot in that area as well. So with micro learning, that can be a different definition for everybody. Some people go, Mm -hmm. well, I have it in modules. That's micro learning. (laughs) Well, not necessarily. So what exactly do you look for when you talk about micro learning? How does that you know, how does that come about? Sure. Yeah. So what we like to do is, you know, we, we kind of describe them as short courses in a sense, you know, it's anywhere from like five to 45 minutes of, of content, you know, it's not going to take them all day to, to do a lesson. Um, and especially with how busy our workforce is today, you know, they don't have a lot of time to spend, um, you know, in a classroom or online, uh, to, to do, a course. And so we chunk them by concepts, um, one to, to be able to um, have mastery of a concept, but two, to make it more feasible for them to, to get through a concept um, in, a, in a, an amount of time that is, is feasible within their already uh, busy work schedule. And so, um, but I, I really like it from a cognitive overload standpoint as well. Um, because, you know, when we put too much content into something, um, they start to drown out. Right. <laughs> and it's, mm-hmm. I'm like that too, you know, uh, our attention spans are, are very minimal sometimes because we're so inundated with what we're doing in our daily lives. But if something is five to seven minutes, I can pick that up, get it done really quickly. If it's five to seven minutes and I'm still not retaining the information, I can go back and redo that several times until it becomes mastery. And so um, those are what we would would call like a micro learning, something that is more of a short course um, that we really want them to, to learn and um, have for mastery. So what you're suggesting is not to have a 45 minute to an hour video <laughs> that you want exactly. your students to watch. <laughs> and, and to break those concepts down um, into smaller chunks so that they can really, you know, focus on that mastery. So like I always, when I'm working with a client, I, I always think of it like, you know, look at primary colors, red, yellow, and blue, right? If I was going to teach somebody about the primary colors, I would spend five to seven minutes on red five to seven minutes on blue, five to seven minutes on yellow. If I didn't understand blue at five to seven minutes, I could watch that two or three times until I understand it. 
Or if they already know red, they could skip red, go right to blue, go right to yellow. So there's a lot of flexibility in the learning path. Um, but if you chunk that all into 45 minutes, they're probably going to, after seven minutes, click off and not watch the rest, right? That's so, right. Yeah. So there's a lot of, um, you know, flexibility with micro learning. So anybody right now that has a course, I encourage you to look at the analytics or the data on the backside and see Absolutely. if you do have those longer videos, how many are actually watching them versus the shorter videos and how exactly. many are actually watching them. So that'll give those that that don't have the opportunity to work with you and create these awesome courses, a little bit of insight into their students. And so you also talked about credentialing. And so what does credentialing mean? Absolutely. So um, with credentialing, you know, if there's a specific area um, that, you know, we want to show mastery in, um, you can create credentialing courses um, to show that they're basically um, a master of that area, right? So, um, you know, whether they're a project manager, like a PMP program or something like that, um, that they want, you want to become proficient in, um, you can create those, those credentialing courses um, that essentially they, be, they become experts in. And so. And this can yeah. become credentialing that you create, right? Within your own business or entity. Exactly. It's not something that you have to buy or bring in. So exactly. These are things you, okay. Yeah. So like with a, a leadership program within an institution, so maybe creating certain tracks within an organization that also help you with retention because you're showing promotion opportunities. Mm -hmm. um, so we do have a lot of organizations that want to create that, experience for their their um, employees to show that there is opportunity for growth within a company to help retain those those um, individuals. Well, and you talked about retention of employees, and I think that's huge because he commits to an institution or a company, a corporation, and the company or corporation or institution has invested so much in bringing them on board. You talked about upscale and rescale employees. So what does that mean? Yeah. So, um, you know, one thing that we always struggle with as we're developing content is you have those, those flat learning paths, right? Where people have to go through them to, you know, check a box, right? We have training programs where it's just for compliance reasons and, you know, they have to check a box that they've done it. But with, with upskilling and reskilling programs, you can create programs where um, they go down a path and if they've understood something, then they can, you know, go up here, like on a matrix and, and upskill. So learn a new, um, ex, you know, content area. But if they don't understand something, they can go down below and reskill so they can learn it again and then continue on that path. Um, so we're, we're getting them towards a level of competency, um, but knowing when we need to upskill and reskill an employee. Um, so it's a different way of, of working with education um, so that everybody at the end of the day becomes competent in an area. Um, so it's a different way of setting up the learning program. Um, we all assume that they start out at a same, certain level or that at the end we're going to have them at, a, at, a, at the same level, but their learning path and learning journey may be very different. At some point, we may have to upskill some and provide additional training or reskill some um, because they may not have gotten some some type of uh, training in the journey. That is so interesting because we talk about onboarding processes and you assume that once you check the box and 
you've read the manuals and you've done all the trainings to, to get onto an entity that everybody is subjectively at the same place. Exactly. But you are creating an objective measurement. So this is a true measurement of where folks are based on certain outcomes. And mm-hmm. so that really identifies where the workers are. You know, there's similar things in education. For instance, there's something called ACT work keys that a lot of students take in this area. I'm in the Southeast United States. And whenever you do that, it gives a ranking platinum, gold, silver, bronze of the skill level of that individual so that businesses know how effective they're going to be if they get hired. Mm-hmm. And so you're doing the same thing within a company is you're able to assess and go, all right, you're doing great. But if you're in this position, you really need to be more skilled in these areas. So let's look at these trainings. Yes. Well, and it's the same thing in like medical education, right? If we're, if we're um, diagnosing a patient and we get to a certain point and we have to decide, you know, based on a certain level of um or with a differential diagnosis, you know, based on certain symptoms, do we prescribe X, Y, and Z drug? Yes or no. And if they pick yes, and it's the wrong answer, you know, why should we not do that? You know, we have to correct the behavior. um, Because at the end of the day, we could kill a patient, right? (laughs) So um, yes, (laughs) let's not do that. And then, you know, we do need to upskill them or reskill them because, the outcome is so important, right? And so it's a different way of training um, individuals to produce the best outcomes. Well, and in businesses today, even in education today, in order to stay competitive, in order to grow, in order to scale, you have to make sure that everybody knows what they're supposed to know. Absolutely. And so that would be huge. Now, we have covered so much today talking about the risk that you took to where you are, talking about your company itself and how amazing it is. And you have all experts that are working for you, some of the trends that we have. For anybody wanting to work with eLearning Doc, how would they get a hold of you or your company? Absolutely. So we, um, our website is www.elearningdocdoc.com. So elearningdoc.com doc.com. Um, they can also email me directly at Angela.robbins at elearningdoc.com. So elearningdoc.com. Now, I know that you just redid your website recently. Yes. So there's a lot of information on there, right? They can go in and kind yes. of see what you do. And they can also see who your leadership team consists of and, and all the different experts that you have. So there are so many resources available. And I just encourage anybody that might be listening to give this a, a chance, because if you're doing things in-house and you've been doing it the same way, yes, your students are learning or yes, your company is producing, but there's so much more that could be done. Absolutely. And there are some uh, case studies on our website. So you can see some of the work that we've done, um, how we can help clients succeed and all of the resources that we provide. Love it. So do you have any words of encouragement or words of wisdom that you'd like to share with anybody listening today? You know, I think the the biggest thing is, you know, you just have to bet on yourself. I think, you know, over the years I've, you know, I've worked hard. I've, you know, always strive to do my best, you know, in all of my positions I have worked overtime, you know, I've, 
at the end of the day, you know, I've never given up and, you know, I, I've always wanted something bigger and for myself more than anything in my family. And, you know, starting e-learning doc was something that I, I always wanted, but I never thought that it would happen. And, you know, taking risks are so important in life. And sometimes you just have to do it because you never know what great things could happen. Um, but I think the biggest thing is surrounding yourself by amazing people. And my colleagues at eLearning Doc are phenomenal. Um, the fam- my family's support has been tremendous. My husband is amazing. My children, God love them, have been through so many late hours <laughs> working. <laughs> That's um, right. But I, you know, I couldn't have done it without the people around me. Um, and I'm so thankful for everyone's support and helping me live out my dream. And um, you know, I just it's been an amazing journey. Love that. So you heard it here. Take risks and believe in yourself. So that is all that we have time for today. I would love for those of you listening to join my Facebook community for women in education and reach out if you would like a free consultation. All access to everything about me is on the voiceamerica.com website. So go ahead and check it out there. With a life of experience in education, I would love to be a speaker at your next event or work directly through through you to empower women in educational leadership or the mentorship program. So in the coming weeks, we'll be talking to others in the online learning space, as well as presidents of various colleges. We are out of time for this week, but be sure to tune in next week on Wednesday at 10 a.m. Central on the Voice America Network Empowerment Channel. Thank you for joining us today. I look forward to seeing you next week. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of Empowering Women in Educational Leadership. We hope you'll join us next week for another inspiring episode 